we will need to be able to make those big steps in a relatively short time. That's the only way to make this change happen. And that means we can't take a lot of time going from kilowatts to megawatts to eventually gigawatts. If we have to do one thing, I think, in the coming two, three years, is to make sure that this emerging market moves from a nascent market to a market of mass production. We learn when we listen. Welcome to Green Mike, an Edison Energy and Altonex Energy podcast, where we invite you into today's most compelling conversations happening in clean energy and sustainability. Is renewable hydrogen the missing link to fully decarbonize? Let's find out. Hi, this is Alana Knopp, Senior Content Writer at Edison Energy. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. I'm joined by my colleague, Andor Savokuls, Senior Director of the European Energy Advisory at Altenex Energy, which is based in the beautiful city of Utrecht in the Netherlands. Also joining me is Francois Paquet, Impact Director at the Renewable Hydrogen Coalition, also known as the RHC, which is based in yet another beautiful city, the city of Brussels. Francois Andor, welcome. Thank you very much, Elana, and uh, thank you for the invitation and looking forward to our discussion. So there's been a lot of buzz around renewable hydrogen, which is produced from renewable energy sources like wind and solar. Francois, the RHC says that renewable hydrogen will be key to reaching carbon neutrality, particularly in energy-intensive industries and hard-to-decarbonize sectors like aviation and shipping. Yet today, renewable hydrogen still represents a modest fraction of the European and global energy mix and is primarily produced from fossil fuels like natural gas and coal. What are the current barriers to accelerating the uptake of renewable hydrogen in Europe and globally? Well, the first answer is, is yes. Unfortunately, renewable hydrogen is still a small fraction of the energy mix and the hydrogen market itself. Just when you look at this market today, we see that 96% of the hydrogen consumed in Europe comes from fossil fuels without carbon capture and storage. So this is a highly polluting hydrogen. This is definitely not a solution for the future. Let's be clear with that. What we need is to create the shift from those 96% fossil-based towards 96% renewable-based hydrogen in as little time as possible. This is really the key here, time, so speed and scale. And the European Union is, is, is extremely ambitious about uh, renewable hydrogen and scaling up. You heard with the recent events in Ukraine, the European Union wants to double the amount of renewable hydrogen produced in Europe. And this is to reduce our reliance from natural gas. So renewable hydrogen has a key role for not only save the planet, decarbonizing hard to decarbonize sectors, but also for Europe to have an energy that is its energy, uh, an energy that is ours, powered by the sun, powered by the wind and water. This is the beauty about, about renewable hydrogen. But we've got indeed to solve the big challenge of time. We also have to, to tackle the challenge of costs. And we face a situation where we have an incomplete EU regulatory framework. All that is needed altogether now to solve the chicken and egg problem that everyone sees in this emerging market. And what do we need to do to solve this? 
We need to work on the supply of renewable hydrogen. We need to create the demand in priority sectors for renewable hydrogen. And we need to also create the conditions for those NU sectors to be able to make the switch to renewable hydrogen as fast as possible at least cost. So this is about building the support schemes that we need. So three pillars that need to be tackled at the same time. We are working hard with the supporters of the Renewable Hydrogen Coalition to deliver those key pillars and help policymakers make sure that we have the building blocks that we need from an EU policy framework point of view to be able to invest and go ahead. If I can just react to that, I fully agree with you, Francois, on the on the speed and scale that's required. I think those are really two key words uh, for me as well. I think what's really important in relation to creating a hydrogen economy, because that's in, in, a, in a sense what we're trying to do here, and it has had some false starts, of course, in, in history, but I feel this time it's going to be different, but we, we will need to be able to make those big steps in a relatively short time. That's the only way to make this change happen and that means we can't take a lot of time going from kilowatts to megawatts to eventually gigawatts we need to make big steps and really get from megawatts to gigawatts in a unprecedented short time frame i think that's required here and uh, yeah fully agree with your uh, your words if we have to do one thing i think in the coming two three years is to make sure that this emerging market moves from a nascent market to a market of mass production. That requires a lot of planning. That requires a lot of work to really mitigate the uncertainty that is out there. If I come back to the various pillars that we need, I mentioned the supply, the demand, and the support schemes to bridge the cost gap. On the supply, we of course need a clear enabling and consistent definition for certification of renewable hydrogen. Without that, you don't know what you are investing in. On the demand side, the great news is that the demand for renewable hydrogen is there. We've got already plenty of sectors using hydrogen. Take fertilizer production, take the refinery sectors, and we see emerging markets like green shipping or green steel you know, for steel going into uh, infrastructure, cars, the demand is there. What the European institutions are currently doing with their proposals needs to be pointed out because they are placing the right stones for creating that market demand. They have made a proposal for having renewable hydrogen used. 50% of renewable hydrogen will have to come from renewable energy sources by 2030 in those sectors that are consuming hydrogen. And this is about bringing the shift that we are talking about, moving from fossil-based hydrogen to renewable-based hydrogen. This is really the game changer that is on the table at the moment, being discussed by the European authorities, that will, we think, help create the demand. Of course, we need to work on the third pillar, which are the support instruments for those end users to switch as fast as possible with no delay. Because those sectors have no alternative for decarbonizing. We can decarbonize a car with renewable electricity. We can decarbonize heating in homes with renewable electricity. We cannot decarbonize an industry 
that is requiring a thousand degrees of heat or put electricity in a big plane flying over the world. You're talking about the supply side, but also rightly about the demand side. And I think this is where the planning and the coordination will come in, especially when thinking about the big the big steps that will need to be made. How do you ensure that supply and demand move up, increase in tandem with each other? Supply not, let's say, getting ahead of demand, demand not getting ahead of supply. And this will require very careful coordination and planning, as, as you say. Also, when looking, and uh, that's where we come in as a, as a consultant to large energy consumers, of course, we see a lot of clients coming to us to help out on moving, making the switch to renewable hydrogen. And it first of all comes from what I would call current hydrogen users. So like you mentioned, uh, refining industry, fertilizers, uh, but also chemical industry, some steel companies that use uh, hydrogen, the companies that are looking to take a leadership role in making the switch already to from gray hydrogen to green hydrogen. And they do this also in anticipation of the targets that you mentioned that the commission is hopefully going to stick to when they put out the, uh, the revision of the renewable energy directive such that both industry and the transport sector will get these targets. I think they will be really important to in- create this demand within the current hydrogen users sector. But then we also see new, what I would say, new hydrogen users coming to us. So those are typically existing natural gas users that are looking for green hydrogen as a substitute for their natural gas consumption. And of course, in 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 in, in those cases where electrification is not an option typically. So they do this first and foremost to find ways to reduce their carbon footprint on their scope one emissions, their direct emissions, but more and more so, especially because of the war now, also for a security of supply reason, which is very interesting. We've never had, let's say, security of supply concerns about natural gas consumption in Europe, but all of a sudden it's becoming an issue. And these companies want to be prepared for who knows when the uh, gas delivery to Europe will be completely cut off because of European sanctions or because Russia doesn't want to uh, supply us anymore. So being prepared for making the switch to green hydrogen, for which we only need renewables, wind and solar, as you say, makes a lot of sense also from this perspective, in my view. Yeah, I think this is definitely a change of paradigm, which here now today, with looming disruption in gas supply, Definitely more and more industrial players are turning to renewable hydrogen produced locally close to their premises to make sure they have this energy security. And as I was saying, this is no longer about only decarbonizing uh, those hard to electrify industries or sectors. This is about energy security. Energy policy has become security policy. This is very, very different from the past three months. And hopefully renewable hydrogen can play a role. And our industry, working with the supporters in the Renewable Hydrogen Coalition, are doing whatever it takes to make sure that we we tackle the challenge of our time, which is making sure we have the volumes of renewable hydrogen that we need, but also making sure that we have the technology manufacturing capacity being built. This is an unprecedented challenge because we have to produce the volumes and at the same time the technologies that have to produce those volumes. No industry has never seen 
this challenge before. So we need support, but we need the legal certainty to make sure that those investments can take place because the risk is big. Andor, you mentioned before that clients are showing an increased interest in renewable hydrogen. How critical is this going to be for some of your clients when it comes to their value chain emissions? It's key, I, I would say, Ilana. And th this is really where uh, I, I want to come back, I think, to something that Francois mentioned earlier. So we talk about the demand side, but we have to realize that uh, hydrogen is used throughout an entire value chain. So typically the initial users of, of hydrogen are manufacturers that create intermediate products, which then get reused until they eventually end up in an end product for an end user. And demand needs to be created throughout this entire value chain. Business to business user is not gonna switch as easily to green hydrogen if there is no demand coming from his customer, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think one of the things that we have to ensure, because we all agree, I think that on the end user side, there is a, a notion that we need to make the, the energy transition happen as well, and that we need to reduce our carbon emissions, but it needs to be done in a transparent and a reliable way. So that's why we need a certificate system like the Certify Guarantee of Origin system, that basically allows to use renewable hydrogen irrespective of where it has been produced and still be able to certify that that's green hydrogen, which is consumed. And in this way, then the hydrogen attributes get transferred throughout the value chain for the benefit of the end user. And this is, I think, key that we get this established. It's been in place, it's, it's, it's successful on the electricity side, and we need to make sure it's, it's going to be as successful on the green hydrogen side as well. I think, Anora, you're touching upon a very important point, which is to, to take an ecosystem approach. This is very true for emissions, but this is also very true for the entire value chain and replacing hydrogen within the context of its use. It makes little sense, basically, to speak about hydrogen alone. We have to place hydrogen in its context, and this is in basically the products that it goes. Fertilizers, green cars, so green steel, white goods. And if we take that ecosystem approach or value chain thinking, what we realize is that the cost of using hydrogen is not so important. This is something that we don't often talk about, but I think from my point of view is fundamental to understand. If we look a little bit at the figures, looking at different studies and, and, and how the numbers work, looking at the impact of um, using renewable hydrogen on the sale price of your end product, take a car, for example, which is a high value product. Then the cost of a car produced with renewable hydrogen, so green steel, would be roughly increased by 0.3, 0.4%. This is peanuts. If you take products like uh, a bottle of beers or, or, um, or one kilogram of pasta, the cost would be roughly less than 1%. I think consumers in Europe, the US, and other developed markets are ready to pay a little extra to ensure that their product is sustainably manufactured with renewable energy. I think that's very important to understand. Moving to renewable hydrogen source products 
is not so expensive. I just wanted to jump back for a moment to the energy crisis in Europe right now. And I'm just wondering, this ongoing war in Ukraine, how could this impact the renewable hydrogen sector going forward? Francois, I'd, I'd like to start with you and then I'll jump to Andor. Yeah, thanks for the question. I think we, we live unprecedented times here. We obviously have to think of the war impacting lives, but this has also brought an energy crisis. And we see the looming problem of Russian gas being cut to Europe. This has just happened with Poland. And I think we can reasonably assume that this will happen for the rest of Europe. So the importance of finding energy sources that we are owing, that we are producing, is increasing day after day those times. And we have an urgent need to break free from, from the reliance of fossil energy. For the planet, that has been clear for, for, for decades. This is becoming clearer and clearer uh, year after year, but also to be less dependent and build that strategic autonomy that Europe needs from an economic point of view. Let's be very frank. We, we have to to accept that we've been a little bit complacent with our energy policy for, for the past years. It's probably now very important to be serious about renewable energy produced in Europe. This is an energy that is ours. This is freedom energy uh, to a certain extent. And using the power of the sun, using the power of wind and water is, 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 is extremely simple. So let's 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 do it when we when this can allow to avoid using fossil energy that is imported from other countries of course this crisis is also bringing one additional element the economics of hydrogen have been turned on their heads just six months ago uh, people were saying cost competitiveness of renewable hydrogen uh, compared to natural gas based hydrogen with carbon capture and storage would come roughly in 2030 now with this war and the soaring natural, natural gas prices, we see the picture has completely changed. It is cheaper to use renewable hydrogen compared to natural gas-based hydrogen with carbon capture and storage. Of course, the price of renewable hydrogen is still high. Uh, natural gas-based hydrogen has become less competitive. But the key here is to think in terms of investment. When you are an investor and are considering and, and, and are considering an investment for the next twenty years, uh, the stability of price for your investment is of core importance. You don't want risk when investing, and that's why I think the current conditions and volatility of natural gas prices is telling you one thing: renewable hydrogen is the safest investment for the future. With renewable hydrogen you do not run the risk of investing in an asset that runs uncompetitive after a few years because another solution has come to the market that is cheaper, which is renewable hydrogen. That's why I think when we are at the starting point of such an industry and can make the right investment from the start, renewable hydrogen or fossil-based hydrogen, low-carbon hydrogen, we can make the right choice from the start. We can get this right and invest in the right investments from the beginning. Yeah, I, I see uh, 
two sides to this coin here, uh, Elana. I, th I think, first of all, may maybe I should remind, well, I don't, I think I have to remind you, Francois and Elana, but maybe our listeners that we actually already had an energy price crisis in Europe before the war started. And that became uh, obviously only escalated because of the war. And the energy price crisis also turned into a security of supply crisis, I would say, of yeah, unprecedented levels. We tend to use the word unprecedented uh, a lot, uh, but I think in this case, it, it's really true, unfortunately. And so I think one side of the coin for me is really the uncertainty that this brings. And this is really where the risk is that this uncertainty in the markets in general will also slow investments in renewable hydrogen, in renewables, the things we really need to make the energy transition happen. And this is where I think the role of the governments, European Commission, European Union, first of all, but also the member states is key, of course, to create stability, create the frameworks, create the regulations, make sure supply and demand are more or less balanced. All those boundary conditions, if you want to still make investments at this scale, it's billions of euros that are required on an annual basis, make this happen. And if we get to overcome this part of the uh, side of the coin, then I think we can look forward to getting to the other side of the coin, which is where I'm really optimistic myself. I see a lot of momentum within society for change at a political level, at a citizen level, at a business level to make this happen. I think that both the pandemic and perhaps the war even more so have shown us how we can be united and we can achieve a lot if we are able to work together. And I think this realization really yeah, makes me positive about this 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 time let's say and this watershed moment hopefully where we're going to make the switch to a new economy yeah i, I would agree with you uh, and definitely this new momentum reinforced with um, war in ukraine has brought huge ambition for renewable hydrogen we've got those targets to secure the demand in priority sectors and we've got an industry represented by the Renewable Hydrogen Coalition, by you and others, Altenex uh, Energy, we are ready to invest. So everything suggests that we are on track. And this is very good to have everyone ready to go. The reality, of course, is that we may perhaps not go as fast as we should be going, because there is this competition beyond Europe, from China, the US. You know, this market is also about leadership, in new industries, electrolyzer manufacturing, for example, but also uh, the technologies for producing the raw material we need for hydrogen, renewable electrons. So building all those turbines, wind turbines, building those PV panels. This is about making sure we've got the integrated manufacturing for those different building blocks that we need for having a renewable-based economy. You talked about the certainty that, that is needed and or, and I think this is extremely key to have this certainty and stability as fast as possible so project developers can go ahead and develop their projects. There is one thing that is spending today in this EU regulatory framework that we need for project developers to go ahead. This is this delegated act on fuels of non-biological origins. Basically, in simple terms, the definition of renewable hydrogen. We see it spending, and a lot of projects now are put on hold or being delayed because the spending legislation is not coming. 
Well, I don't think this is a good signal to send to industry here. Uh, we've got a huge lineup of projects ready to go, waiting for the ability to claim they are renewable hydrogen. And this piece of text, this piece of legislation is so important for them because on the basis of that text will be the ability to receive support schemes at national level. And of course, we need those rules to define renewable hydrogen pragmatic and helping ramp up renewable hydrogen with the speed and scale that we need. And now we need to move to even bigger volumes of renewable hydrogen as a result of the, the increased ambition from the power EU. So here, we need rules that allow to bring that certainty, that stability, do not increase cost of projects. For example, an industrial player needs constant supply of renewable hydrogen. It cannot always go up and down following the power of wind or, or sun. We've got to find a way of reconciling those needs to allow those industrial players to move ahead with renewable hydrogen as quickly as possible, because that will be the solution that will allow them to decarbonize what is not possible to do with renewable electricity. Such valuable insights. Thank you so much, Francois and Andor. I'd like to just end with one quick question for both of you about investment. The amount, $100 billion comes to mind, but my point is, if you had a lot of money to, to spend on clean energy right now, where would you spend it? Francois, I'll start with you. Oh, that's a hard one. Speed and scale is what we need. I mentioned the unprecedented challenge that our sector, the renewable hydrogen sector, is facing. We need to produce huge amounts of renewable hydrogen and at the same time to manufacture the technologies that we need to produce this hydrogen. So that's about the manufacturing capacity. So if I had that amount of money, I would build massive renewable capacity across strategic areas of Europe. I would finance the construction of multi-gigawatt electrolyzer manufacturing factories. And I would set up simple support schemes for renewable hydrogen, say to cut the cost to a level that allows to industrial players to make the switch to renewable hydrogen with no delay. A very simple support schemes. The United States has done it, $3 per kilogram of hydrogen. I think we've got to look at what the US is doing here and bring this simplicity for Europe. Now, you know, life should not be about just solving problems. It's more than that. You want to be waking up in the, in the morning and say, uh, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to make this thing uh, happening. And being part of this sector that is being created at the moment is extremely inspiring. This, this is so exciting, you know. And with that amount of money, you could do a lot. And we are part of it in this Renewable Hydrogen Coalition. We are the doers. We try to make this happen. Now the ball is in the camp of policymakers to help do our job together with Endor and others. So 100 billion euros is not that much when you look at it. In the COVID crisis, a recovery fund was set up for 750 billion euros. Here, the urgency is pressing for decarbonizing those industries that cannot be decarbonized. 
And we've got to create this new market, which is a fantastic business opportunity for creating the jobs of the future. So I think 100 billion euros is not that much and is what it would take to really launch that industry and make sure we build those jobs in Europe and have the rest of the world decarbonize with technology made in Europe. And I like your question, uh, Ilana. I wish I had the luxury problem of how to spend 100 billion euros or dollars. I, can't, I, I forgot, but these days it doesn't really matter that much anymore. It's almost the same. But for me, the, the question is really, I think, easy uh, to answer. And I'll zoom out a little bit more from renewable hydrogen because I would make sure it all gets spent on a massive build out of renewables, solar PV installations, onshore wind installations, offshore wind installations. This is, I think, what we need. It's the workhorse of the energy transition. It's renewables, whether the renewable electricity is then used directly for any processes that will get electrified, electric vehicles, heat pumps, or indeed indirectly for green hydrogen production or for any other e-fuels, should it matter. We need many, many more renewables and Actually, it's not a matter of money that's the obstacle here in building out renewables. It's the permitting that's causing this massive build out not yet to to happen. So we really need to overcome this uh, from a policy and a regulatory point of view. And it's key then in relation to these capital investments also to and thinking about carbon emissions, not to simply shift capital investments away from conventional energy production, from from fossil fuel production, those capital investments need to be transferred to renewable energy production and ideally at a, an order of magnitude more than the current investments. Otherwise, we're going to create energy shortages. And I can assure you one thing, when there are energy shortages, when there's more inflation, all those sort of things, that eventually will slow down the energy transition. So we need to make sure that energy production stays at the level that's required for Europe, but also for other parts of the world that are still, uh, let's say, developing and where citizens are still requesting more energy, but that it's of the renewable nature. And then we can indeed create, I think, what um, Francois was referring to, all these green jobs and all the regional manufacturing and really make the energy transition happen. And or what you said is so important. Energy policy, in the end, is security policy. Our economies need energy. And this is important that we streamline financial resources in those projects that are renewable-based projects. And with the current times, I think we've got to really look again in the light of the current events at, at, at the way we qualify projects uh, and accept projects, procedures to get those projects approved. We've got to really qualify those projects for renewable uh, energy and renewable hydrogen as being in, in the public interests across the Europe. And this in the public interest, I think, is a new qualification that needs to be taking place as soon as possible with, with facilitated legislative proceedings, faster procedures, uh, of approval in order to bring that uh, energy that is ours to people and industry in Europe. Thank you both so much, Andor and Francois. And to our listeners, thanks for tuning in. See you next time at The Green Mic. 
Find Green Mike on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts.